Welcome to AgTech 360, where we take a 360-degree view into emerging agriculture technologies of today and tomorrow. Our host, Adrian Percy, helps us to create robust dialogue among stakeholders in academia, industry, and extension, including researchers, growers, producers, and the overall agriculture sustainability community. AgTech 360 is brought to you by North Carolina State University, CIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. This is Adrian Percy with AgTech360, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Naeem Safar. Naeem is a serial entrepreneur, as they say, been involved with many startups. He's currently serving as the co-founder and CEO of Telesense, which is an IoT company that is creating real-time wireless sensing and predictive analytic solutions for the stored grain industry. And we're going to get into what Telesense is all about and uh, where it's going. Prior to starting Telesense, he was the CEO of Blitzer Mobile, an enterprise security and mobility company that was acquired by Oracle back in 2013. But he started his first company at the age of 26 and moved to Silicon Valley. But at this point, he is, as I said, a serial entrepreneur, practically a Silicon Valley native, having founded, investing in and advised over 30 companies. He also teaches entrepreneurship at the University of California, Berkeley and Northeastern University. So welcome, Naeem. Thank you for joining me. Well, good. Good to see you, Adrian. Yeah, and good to see you. And where I wanted to start, I like to kind of go back to the roots, as it were, and understand a little bit of your background as entrepreneur, if it's something that you were kind of born with this entrepreneurial streak, or it's something that you acquired over time, or something that you maybe learned. Where do you feel this comes from? Well, when I started in my first company, my motivations were not to change the world or do something amazing. It was just a faster way to climb the corporate ladder. It seemed that way to me when I was 25. I have a different perspective now looking back entrepreneurs are misfits of society. They don't fit in. They get fired easily. They ask too many questions. They're annoying in general. You're always looking, can I do this better? Can this be done more efficiently? And that drives them. And having a chip on your shoulder is a very compelling reason. So I ask people, why do you want to start a business? Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? And they don't say that, but when you probe, sometimes the most compelling reason is to prove to your father you're better than him. And that's a perfectly good reason. It's called chip on your shoulder reason. Have you worked out what your motivation was then? Was it a chip on your shoulder? Were you trying to prove something to yourself or others? You know, I'm still working it out. But uh, my current answer is that you come to this world and you extract resources. People educate you. People give you employment. You're extracting. There got to be an inflection point in your life and you want to give back. Maybe give back more than you extracted. Mid-30s, I begin to realize, okay, what's relevant? How do you give back? How do you pump back into the society so your life had a meaning? You know, otherwise, many life forms come to exist, do their part, and disappear. What's the net? Could we strive to a bigger net? So you've clearly been involved in a lot of different companies. I get the impression across a lot of different sectors of the startup world. I mean, how have you maneuvered through this? How did you get involved with so many different enterprises? It has been a sequential journey for the most part, at least in the first two thirds of my career. So we came together to solve a problem we had ourselves. We were engineers 
We did not have the design tools. Four of us came together. Can we design the tools we need? And we did. And we found some investors who were willing to fund us, design a product we would have used. And that led to the next company. I came to Silicon Valley for that. And we created a new technology called hardware emulation. So any chip, when you're designing, how do you know it's really going to work once you design it? And by the time you manufacture the chip, you're down several million dollars investment. So we came up with a technology which allowed people to start using the chip while it's still not fabricated by emulating the behavior. And actually, Intel Pentium was verified using this technology. And we made the cover of Business Week and rest was history. The company was successful. So always looking for something. Another company which I got involved with in very early days was inventing the first silicon fingerprint sensor. So nobody had done that before when you can literally put your finger on it. And this was 1997-98. So that company, Apple ended up buying the technology and that's an iPhone Touch ID technology. It's my team, my technology. So, you know, you never know. You do something interesting and relevant, sooner or later, it finds its way to something relevant and useful and used by many millions of people today. So that's very satisfying. So now you've been seeing all of these different companies, these different approaches. I mean, what do you look for in something new? I mean, do you start with the problem that needs to be solved? Or do you sometimes come across a technology that's looking for a problem to solve? Or is it some other thing that you're looking into these opportunities for? There are three things which should be considered. One is, is there an unmet need? And why is it unmet? Number two, are there enough people looking for this? Is it a big enough market size? And number three is timing. Because timing trumps other things. You know, there was a time social media was the hottest thing to do in early 2000s. There was a time when blockchain was the hottest thing to do. There was a time when still is artificial intelligence is the hottest thing to do. And now it's proliferating in other life forms like agriculture and different businesses like retail selling or medical. I mean, the fingerprint sensor, we were too early. We were doing that in 97, 98, and nobody knew they needed one. It took another 10 years when Apple put it in the phone and we used it for Apple Pay and security. So it, we were just too early. So lesson learned. So when iPad came along, that's when I did my next company, Mobile Security, because iPad in the enterprise was the right time. And yeah, for sure, three years later, Oracle bought that company. And that technology is being used by many security conscious companies when you can securely log in from your iPhone and iPad into the corporate SharePoint and corporate servers. You mentioned timing and you mentioned agriculture and clearly, you know, this focus on agriculture, while it's always been there, there's been a real increase, I would say, over the last five to 10 years with a lot of investment coming into the ag tech space. What has attracted you into agriculture? Was it a specific opportunity or were you looking for something to kind of get into the ag tech space? How, how did you arrive here? You know, I, I can formulate a story how I grew up in Pakistan and the agriculture is a huge part of the economy and that drove me, but it's really serendipity. I was interested, I knew the timing was right for IoT, Internet of Things, which is a fancier word of machines and objects talking to each other wirelessly. Question is, what's the right use case? So when I started this company, I didn't know it's going to be agriculture. The first three years, we looked for different use cases. We started with predicting when any machine which vibrates will need maintenance, like a commercial heating and ventilation system. We looked at how to detect dangerous gases in tunnels. We worked on how to secure cold chain for seafood. By the time you catch a fish, by the time you serve it, but it's stored properly. For reasons I can explain, all three of them, we had headwinds. Then we realized agriculture, there is no headwind. It's a huge market. It's a worldwide market. It has an impact on sustainability, how much food we throw away and waste, how it fits the macro trend. So feed people, preserve the food we already grow. We got to apply the intelligent technologies we have developed. So that became my motivation and that drove me. And, and you know, as they say, rest is history. 
So as you said, a lot of tailwinds in agriculture, although still in the early days of the whole VC cycle there. How do you see where we are right now? Do you have a lot of belief in the in the future of this ag tech sector? Do you foresee, for instance, a lot of exits in the next couple of years? Or might it be a little bit tougher than that, given the characteristics that we see in agriculture, of a lot of diversity and sometimes uh, technology is not being taken up as broadly as you might hope? You're right. This sector is harder than other sectors. If you look at where high technology advanced software analytics has proliferated, it's in manufacturing, it's in retail, it's in medical. Where it hasn't entered as broadly is construction and agriculture. Why is that? So there are a couple of interesting reasons. One is you're dealing with some of the most skeptical audience when you come to farmers, partly because they've been fed some kind of a rosy picture in the past, which hasn't panned out. So they're skeptical and they've been doing it for 10,000 years. So they think, yeah, we've been doing it. Do we really need this technology? So they need to see it. They need to be shown the results. So that's why it has been difficult to adopt this technology here. And the second reason is the margins are usually pretty thin. When a fat margin, so your whole livelihood depends on it. This is good news for us because we're a startup company. We need to demonstrate to only a handful of audience they have real value coming out of this. When they see it, they're not reluctant to tell their neighbors or other people they know. So as a company has girth to serve many people, the good news is market is truly worldwide. You can go to Botswana or Laos and have as much need for our product as it is in Europe and Argentina. Yeah, it's certainly very diverse, as you say but lots of different production systems, different types of farming, different equipment being used, different cultural practices, which I guess does make it challenging, as you were saying. It's challenging, but there are underlying things. So now, again, the agriculture is a huge field. I put them in three buckets. Stuff you can do before you plant. Drones, soil analysis, nitrogen, chemical, whatever. A bunch of companies doing that. We don't do that. The second bucket is, once you plant, how do you minimize disease, maximize yield, whole bunch of agronomic, agronomy, lots of money going into that. We don't do that. The third bucket is, once you harvest, before you consume, how do you make sure it doesn't go bad? How do you store it, transport it efficiently in good health? That's what we do. And then, of course, the fourth one is, once you process the food and, and serve, it, how do you minimize the waste? We don't do that. So there are really like four stages. And we are highly focused on stage number three. So let's talk about preventing post-harvest losses and everything that Telesense is doing there. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and the technology that you've developed? The main point is people make media decisions when to sell it, when to blend it, when to fumigate it, when to pack it, how many days before it will go from grade two to grade three, how long can I store it? So these decisions, how do they make these decisions? Fact is, a lot of these decisions are based on old-fashioned techniques like sniffing it or your personal belief. And, you know, it, it has worked for them half the time, so they believe it. Idea is, can you do automatic, effortlessly data collection? Can you make meaning out of it? Somebody working at a farm would much rather get a text message, turn on the fans on bin number seven for eight hours starting at midnight. He can deal with that. That's very specific. Why? Because somebody else has analyzed the weather forecast, the moisture in the air, moisture inside the bin, what kind of fan we have, wet it, dry it. Because if you wet it too much, it has mold. Mold grows into hot spot. Hot spot can lead to combustion. If you dry it too much, then you're losing money because what used to be 1,000 pounds now became 946 pounds. We just lost money. You have a constant struggle. Am I over drying it? Is over moist? How do I sleep at night? So when somebody can give you that kind of a information on your mobile device anywhere and you can control your grain condition, you're pretty happy. Is this device or these devices that you've developed primarily focused on growers or are they grain traders and others also going to be using this technology? 
initially people who are dealing with the growers, anybody storing grain, whether some people have on-farm storage, sometimes people sell the grain and co-ops and elevators store their grain, anybody storing or transporting grain. The trick was, how do you make it convenient to collect data on the condition of the grain? So after research, we were told, if you know about temperature, you know about moisture, you know about carbon dioxide level, that's like 96% of all what you need to know. The other 4% is like broken kernel, protein levels, and uh, total weight and a bunch of other things. So we came up with the simplest of all configuration is Spear. The Spear, which has electronics bulb with all the electronics to wireless communication, and a shaft, which is, could be three feet or six feet long, and has five sensors in it. You stick it in a barge going down Mississippi. You stick it in a ground pile or some kind of a temporary storage. And we have a slightly different device for bins. And once you put it up, it takes about 15, 20 minutes to put it up. Then data is coming to you. So it had to be made so simple that it can go wrong. And then it's all about analyzing the data and give you meaningful insights. That's our specialty. So right now you're focused on grain. Do you see it being applied with other types of crops and helping with reducing food waste elsewhere? Absolutely. So we already expanded to, uh, in addition to grain, wheat, canola, corn, soybeans, things like that. We also now working with seed, spinach seeds, grass seeds, and also working with potatoes. When you harvest potatoes, you got to store them possibly underground in a warehouse for a year because people eat them throughout the year, except you harvest them at one point. So potatoes has a very interesting use case. You want to prevent anti-sprouting. You want to make sure they don't get wrong. So we are very much focused on that as well. And slowly, we plan to expand to all other types of perishable food items. I think it's great what you guys are doing. We talk a lot about, as you said earlier, about how can we prepare the crop? How can we maximize yield? But it seems to me that this whole area of food waste hasn't perhaps had the attention that it needs to have when you consider the estimates of 40% and so forth that I've heard quoted in regards to food waste. And I'm very aware that there are only a few companies actually doing R&D in this area. So it's fantastic that you've developed a technology that seems very intuitive and simple to use for growers. And, you know, as you're saying, can be applied across you know, a whole variety of crops. So what do you see as the next stage for Telesense? Where do you see the company going in the next couple of years? Telesense first highly focused on the stored bin. So not only we want to know what's the quality of the grain inside, but also the quantity. So give you insight about storing, blending, and fumigation, a bunch of other factors. So this then begins to creep into this whole supply chain, which includes transport. Are you transporting by barge, by rail car? What's the condition throughout the journey? What if you're sending soybeans to China and when you open it up, it's a disaster? Who takes the blame? So able to have the chain of custody. So there are a bunch of problems in the supply chain, which are just beyond the quality and condition of my grain. So one by one, we plan to expand and address all those issues while giving you deeper insights into the pricing, timing, uh, decisions about selling, when to sell, when not to sell. We have like a five-year roadmap, how we plan to inch towards really owning the grain supply chain when we become the trusted company with the right technology to help you become more profitable. You know, just kind of building on that, the COVID pandemic revealed a lot of issues with our supply chain and the lack of resilience. Do you see Telesense playing a role in bringing more confidence that we can get food to the right place at the right time in even under the constraints of a global pandemic? Short answer is yes. And it helps in two or three ways. One way is the issue of labor shortage. Pandemic like that can easily cause a labor shortage when suddenly your critical employees are sick or not able to come. So having the data come to you using the wireless sensors is a big relief because you're not able to send guys out there to open each 
each pane, take some sample and see how is the condition. But instead, the data is coming to you on a screen when you can look what's going on. Very powerful. The second thing is transporting the grain. So when you're transporting, able to have a chain of custody, where it went, who needed it, did get there on time. And even if there's a shortage of human beings, is very critical. So our focus is the whole supply chain. We play several roles to ensure that we can be more resilient to these natural disasters. What a great mission. Naeem, I have one last question for you, a very general one. You are teaching and working with UC Berkeley and Northeastern. I'm just curious, when you're talking to students around entrepreneurship, what are the key messages that you look to pass to those students? So yeah, I teach a class uh, called entrepreneurship, technology entrepreneurship. And I think the class purpose is to understand and realize what is the journey to become an entrepreneur and why is it worth it? So I tell them this is the cheapest cost you will pay to find out. Are you really an entrepreneur or not? Because not everybody's an entrepreneur, just like not everybody's a musician. But if you have some natural talent, a little bit of lessons can make you a very good musician. That's the idea. So knowing that I'm not a musician, i.e. I'm not an entrepreneur, that's the cheapest way to find out. The reason people like it, because they can cast a large shadow. You don't have to be super tall to cast a large shadow. You have to be in the right position where the light is. So that's the point. So that's the kind of message I try to convey. If they walk away with that clarity in their mind, then I've succeeded. That's a great message to finish with. Naeem, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure and uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. AgTech 360 is a product of North Carolina State University, SIRSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. This episode was produced by Kayla Pack-Watson with host Adrian Percy and Center Director Dr. Denatia Seth Carley. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AgTech360 and send us questions and comments to agtech360 at gmail.com. With AgTech360, we take a 360-degree view inside emerging agriculture technologies that matter. Thanks for listening.